Hello. So this is episode seven of season seven. Now, season seven is called The Stages of Home Construction. We're diving into the process of home construction for both new builds and renovations so that you can feel informed as your project gets built. We'll be looking at the what, the when, the who and the how of each stage, and we'll be giving you loads of helpful and cost-saving and stress-saving ideas and information, really good information along the way. Now, in this episode... We talk about the fix it or fit out stage. Look, this for many homeowners, this is the seriously fun part. This is when you see all of those choices and selections, you know, the interior finishes, fixtures, fittings, they start turning up and they start getting installed and finished on finished on surfaces, surfaces and going into your home and sites this, you know, hive of activity of people and work and materials and products, you know, all coming together. You can actually see how all of these choices and decisions that you've been agonising over, how they take shape as your home gets decked out internally. And it's also where all these choices and decisions and steps actually get tested because the structure of your home, that ultimately informs what the finished surface will look like and feel like and function like. So Dwayne and I will we discuss in this episode about what to look for in this stage, you know, key mistakes that you can avoid and what to expect from your builder in their communication and in their planning. Now some terminology to familiarize yourself with if this is the first episode in this season that you're jumping into. So Dwayne and I refer a lot to drawers in uh, during this season of the podcast. Look, we're not meaning the drawers that you keep your socks in. A drawer is a payment on the building contract. So when you sign a contract with a builder, a builder will identify a series of drawers or progress claims or progress payments. And as that work is completed, the builder will submit an invoice for that drawer identifying that the work has been completed. Now, we also talk about carcasses in this specific episode. We talk about kitchen carcasses, joinery carcasses. So if you're not familiar with what a carcass is when it comes to home building, uh, then it's actually, it's, it, the carcass is the actual structure or the cupboards themselves. It's the insides that make up your kitchen joinery or the joinery in your laundries or bathrooms. Let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, before I jump into the podcast episode, I want to share with you some exciting information about an online program that I've launched in collaboration with this season of the podcast, and it's available for you to access now. The program is called Manage Your Build, and it's all about helping you navigate the construction of your new home or renovation with sanity, feeling confident and informed. If you want to be better informed about what's happening during the construction of your home or understand what you can expect of your builder or of the contract and, you know, whether you're getting what you've paid for, then Manage Your Build is designed to simplify this for you. Manage Your Build will give you key knowledge, tools, cheat sheets, industry insider checklists and tips, 
plus strategies to save your sanity and budget as well. This online program can support you, help you avoid expensive mistakes and drama and put you in the driver's seat, feeling confident during the construction of your new home or renovation. So if you want to check it out, head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash manage your build. There's more information there about what's inside the program, what it includes and how it can support you and save you stress and money as you navigate the construction of your renovation or new home and actually make the process enjoyable for you. So head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash manage your build. All right, so we are now up to doing the inside of the home. And this is actually, I think for homeowners, this is kind of the most exciting part because everything up to this point is really, you're still kind of imagining and envisaging what the future home is going to look like. But once you actually start to see those interior materials and um, fixtures and fittings go in, you start to see the things and the spaces and the objects that you're going to be interacting with and using every day. And I think it's also where everything that's been done up to this point really gets tested. You know, you start to see where you get, where you might have discrepancies in the set out of the frame or where there might be things that you've overlooked and not included and assumed were going to be installed and now can't be. So there's a lot that happens in this stage and there can be a lot of draws as well as a result because there's lots of different trades involved. You're generally shelling out a lot of money for all of the things that are turning up on site that you've probably paid deposits on up until this point to secure but then are starting to get them actually arrive. Can we just go through, Duane, some of the things that sort of start to happen in this stage and how that process rolls out? Yeah, so look, once you get to this stage, you're definitely getting closer to the pointy end. And, and like you say, it's definitely very exciting. It's the first time people can get a sense of the light that's going to get inside the house and the, and, the, and the actual size of rooms and things. So look, a few little things that need to happen before the plastering goes in. So generally leading up to this fixing stage, all the insulation, so if you've asked for or, you, or your builder's allowed for, all the external wall insulation will go in. If you're getting any extra insulation or, or ceiling bats, they'll all get put in. If it's got a media room or, or something, or it's not uncommon these days even for a main bedroom to have sound insulation in the wall. So all, all that sort of stuff will go in there, and it's really the last chance you get to uh, double check everything. So this is at the point where uh, we would bring out our frame checklist and ideally a a week or a few days before the plaster is due to start on site. We do a full walkthrough room by room with our clients and just it's the last time you get to have a good walkthrough, explain things to them, just double check that everything's correct, all the noggins are in the right um, position, light switches because they're now all in because the rough-ins are completed. So light switches, power points, your light positions, um, all your plumbing um, fixtures and that have all been put in the right locations. Any niches that have to be put in, showers, um, all that sort of stuff's been finalised. So your shower recesses for soap and shampoo and things like that, you'll see those being framed out in the walls yeah, before the... Yeah, the... All, your, all your wet areas, nogs for your towel rails and all that sort of thing, they're all... they're all um, So they all get ticked off our list. And also just in, even in hallways and, and things like that, um, there might be niches for a painting or... And then the, the plasterers come in, so plastering's a pretty... Um, it's one of the the bigger trades on the job, like obviously it's it's all the internal wall lining, so the plasterboard, chip rock, um, your villa board and all your wet areas, and then obviously they, they set all the joints and then they do all the corners, so obviously depending on the finish and if you've got ornate corners or square setting or shadow lines, like 
all that sort of stuff comes into play. Actually, just quickly with shadow lines, like back at the previous stage with framing, if you haven't uh, or if, if your builder hasn't been involved throughout the project, it's been missed or hasn't he hasn't understood that you want shadow line, once you pass the frame stage, it's it's really too late. Like shadow line isn't really something that you can just throw in once the plastering starts. Like your walls have to be millimetre perfect, otherwise you just see every single little ripple in the wall. So even just simple little things like your, bra- your internal bracing ply. Um, so that's obviously, depending on what product you use, four and a half or six millimetres thick. So if you're now wanting a shadow line, any of the walls that have got bracing ply on them now have to be packed out, like the full length of the wall. So um, Yeah, that's a good point, I think, because building tolerances themselves, like, you know, Australian standards acceptance for building tolerances actually can be, you know, you're allowed a certain amount of, di- of dimensional difference between the top and the bottom of the wall or between the lengths of the wall that accommodate then the fact that you can't build everything absolutely perfectly square and true, you know. And, and what I've noticed and when we've done our own renovations in particular is that it's very time-consuming to make sure that, you know, for example, you can put a level across a frame and make sure that everything is always level from one end of the frame to the other. And I often say to people, look, if you've got a very long hallway, for example, that you're planning on downlighting the whole way along that hallway, you're going to see irregularities in that wall. You're going to see if the plaster, if the if the plasterboard has gone on a wall that's got any warp or bend in it. You're going to see if the plasterer hasn't done a good job on, you know, when they've set it, they've not actually troweled it back so it's nice and flush, or they've not flush, or they've not sanded it back properly. Um, I had a member in my online program who didn't tell the plasterer or the builder the kinds of paints that she was wanting to use internally. They had a very long hallway and what they found that when the paint went on, they could see all of the joints that had gone on the plasterboard the whole way down the ceiling so they had to make sure that they put more coats of paints on to hide those joints. So there's all these types of things. Another example was I remember one of the riverfront homes that we did at Bulimba, very long wall along the side of the home that we knew was going to had a skylight running the full length of that wall. It was any imperfection in that wall was going to be picked up. So we actually chose a textured finish for that wall so that it was more forgiving to the fact that you just sometimes it's just not physically possible to get things perfectly square and true and timber moves, you know, concrete moves. These, These buildings, they're not static and still, they move around. The thing is that plasterboard um, is obviously it's if you've ever seen a plasterboard sheet you'll uh, you know your home listening will obviously understand that it's quite big quite unwieldy usually requires a couple of people to move it into place you've got people putting it up on a ceiling so lifting it above their heads it's it's quite labor intensive to kind of cart it all around and move it in and out of the house and if it it's not it's actually not that sturdy like you have to be careful with how you're moving it otherwise you break it so it's the most conventional way to line a home it's so regularly used it's a very messy trade but it is just it's it's i think one of those ones that is obviously repairable when things do potentially go wrong with it on site so it's probably why it still gets used so regularly obviously if you're you know, plaster comes in, measures up the wall, goes outside to where they're cutting up plasterboard, cuts it there, then brings it inside, fits it to the wall and uh, and puts it into position with glue and all of those types of things. You know, if you're asking for a square set cornice, that plasterer isn't going to have a cornice of any sort to conceal where a ceiling and a wall plasterboard 
where those two things meet. And so there's no tolerance for them really to stuff up those wall measurements. They have to basically get them exactly right, fit to purpose, cutting exactly to millimetre perfection, and then installing it to get that joint very tight so that it's just then they can run their wet plaster over it to then sand back as a square set. set. Now, if it's a cornice, obviously, depending on the size of your cornice, you will have a cornice that will hide the joint between the ceiling and the wall. And so understanding that obviously that is a, whilst you might be paying, whilst there might be more materials involved in the fact that you've got a cornice going over the top, it actually enables a plasterer to speed up what they're doing because the accuracy isn't as significant. So people think that square setting and uh, and the shadow line shouldn't be that much more expensive, but you actually throw away a lot of material. So using a 2700 ceiling, for example, if you're using corners, that's just two sheets because you get two 1350 sheets. It's got a recess on the bottom, which gets hidden by the skirting. It's got a recess on the top that gets hidden by the corners. If you're doing square set or shadow line, generally the plasterer will put a, a rip down the bottom. So you might cut a 1200 sheet in half. There'll be a 600 strip on the bottom a 1200 sheet in the middle and then another cut in the top to make sure because obviously you've got no room for air it's got to be tight to the ceiling so you're throwing away depending on the height of the ceiling like three four hundred mil of board around the entire lineal meters of the internal walls of the house yeah and you pay for all the material that ends up in the waste bin out the front you know (laughs) so that's the thing to remember with all of these things that you choose that if you can work to standard material sizes work to sort of off-the-shelf componentry, you can then manage your waste and think about, you know, the sizing of things so that you're not paying for the whole material for two-thirds of it to end up in the bin, um, but you're actually using it all. So I think that's, um, you know, that's a great example. I often talk about ceiling heights generally because people say to me, I want a high ceiling, and for a high ceiling that might mean it's three metres or 3.3 metres. But they don't understand the then the domino effect that that has on all of the other choices that need to be made yeah. that then add significant cost to that decision. All right, so we've got we've got plasterboard uh, or drywall or gyprock going in to the home. We've got a different type of lining, obviously, going into the wet areas because plasterboard itself is not that water resistant, and so that villaboard will be going into the wet areas itself, and then you'll have the waterproofing happen, which is basically that paint product that gets applied over the it stinks it's horrible stuff <laughs> so yeah it's, it's, it's not like uh, on the tv shows where they do it at lunchtime and then tile in the afternoon um, <laughs> so look once all the plasterboard's finished uh, generally the next trade to come in is the waterproofer so look he he'll go in he'll clean the wet areas if he's doing his job correctly they should be preparing the floors make giving them a either an acid wash or, or some sort of prep to make sure their waterproofing is going to adhere to the to the slab they'll generally cut all the all the PVC pipes that you would have seen sticking up through the slab up until now, and they'll get trimmed down, flush, so that the waterproofing can put his puddle flanges on and, and get all them set up. Because the um, waterproofing's got to run into them, doesn't it, to yeah. really waterproof those joints? Yep. Yep. And then, look, it's really important. So, again, back to those earlier decisions we've been talking about with um, long linear drates, uh, grates and the types of tiles you're going to use. This is the point where the, the waterproofer will start to put in all the angles. So he'll set up the waterproofing stops for the size of the shower. Generally, you'll have a water stop angle at the doorway as well. So all those decisions that the builder's been at you about and wanting you to make, this is where they all start coming together. So... We get our toilet to do our waterproofing. But the, the main reason we do that is because he's in control of it all. So he knows what he's done. He, he's got his own tiling crew. So he, he, he organises. He does the waterproofing. He knows when the tollers are coming in to lay tiles. And if for any reason something gets scratched or damaged, he can repair it. 
we've just found it's a far better process and, and a lot better job. Once the waterproofing is all done, generally depending on what type you're using, two or three coats, ideally you should be sticking a balloon or some sort of plug in the waste and filling the floor of the bathrooms up and letting them sit for 12 hours. If they don't leak in that 12 hours, then they're generally not going to leak. Once once that's done, the tile will then come in. Like we spoke about with recesses in the slabs earlier on in another episode, they'll do their bedding. So again, very important. Like The tiles by this time should be on site. The size of the tile can affect how the bedding gets laid and how much fall gets to the floorway. So, so the bedding is like a it's like a cementitious sort of product that gets laid on top of the waterproofing that the slope gets put into, so that water always falls to the drains. So it's not the tile that gets sloped; it's the substrate between the waterproofing and the tile that's known as the bedding. That's yeah. the thing that gets graded to fall, so that water always drains into yep. the places it's supposed to rather than running out the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> so look, it's generally anywhere from 40 to 50, sometimes 60 mil thick, depending on the, the floor finishes around it and uh, what type of tiles are getting used. And then, yeah, that, that gets left to dry overnight and the tiler starts tiling. So look, this is where the main coordination starts on a job during these stages. So if you've got a wall-hung vanity in the bathrooms, I believe all the, the, tile should, the floors should be tiled first and then the vanity sat on top. Like these days, most houses are having stone on them. So the stone guys won't come in and do templates until the carcasses are put in place. So the tile will do the tile on the floor. He'll do the tiles on the walls. Generally, you want to have make sure your cabinet maker's programmed in so he can have the vanity, the carcass screwed to the wall so the tile can tile around it. Yeah, everyone keeps flowing on. And then at a similar stage to this, the timber, if the house has got polished timber floors, they will be going in. And look, this is definitely an area where drawers... It, it might not just be a fixing stage drawer. It might be broken up into multiple drawers. So it's definitely not uncommon for us, um, especially on the larger jobs. We might have t- internal tiling and tongue groove or, or timber flooring combined as one drawer. We'll just call it fl- internal floor finishes. We might have internal tiling and carpentry fit out combined. Again, it's just it's just breaking it down. It's easier for the client to see exactly what's happened. Because if you just have a fixing drawer and it's, it's including plastering, waterproofing, bedding, tiling, tungro floor, joinery, painting. Like the the homeowner might not understand what's actually gone. And and the banks, they, they might not uh, get it. So trying to break them up a bit is a good thing. Are you running your flooring in underneath your kitchen carcasses or do you put the kitchen carcasses in after, uh, put the flooring in after the kitchen carcasses have all gone down? I, I can't stand. We do renos and you pull something up and there's nothing there. We're actually about to start a refurb on a, a very expensive home and they haven't run the tiles under the kitchen. And now like, we've wasted like the last two years trying to design a new kitchen around the old kitchen because as soon as we go outside that footprint, we can't find the tiles or we won't get the same colour. So, uh, look, I believe all flooring should be the entire room. Same in the uh, in the bathrooms. I believe all the, the tiles should, the floors should be tiled first and then the vanity sat on top. It's something that homeowners would not even potentially notice, but you can walk into a home and what you'll see is if, if they've done the timber flooring after they've done the kitchen cabinetry, you'll often then get a little timber bead wrapping around where the kitchen kick plate is. And it looks atrocious. And it does. It, it's, and it, it does mean that you're just locked in. You're never going, you know, any time that you pull up anything, that there's going to be a hole in the flooring that's very difficult to match later on. It's always possible if you need to sand and polish a floor again later that you can do that across a whole area of floor. You know, we know personally we've reconfigured our kitchen 
kitchen a little bit, taken a section out, and there's an unsanded bit of floor under where the kitchen, because <laughs> they've obviously yep. sanded and polished after they put yep. the kitchen in. But it's very easy for us to get that to match and, and treat that over the whole thing rather than having to replace that actual section of, of floor itself. So yeah. that's a really good piece of advice. Well, depending on the job, again, I, I missed a step there. So if there's full height tiling, before the tiler comes in, they'll hang all your door jams, you put all your hinges on, fit all your internal doors, your architraves, your skirtings. Um, depending on the home, might be all the robe shelving and the robe doors. So all that, all that internal carpentry work, that'll get done. And the reason that has to happen uh, back then is so your tiler's got something to finish to. So you need your door frame in for your wet areas and then he knows where to finish his skirting tile or, or if you are having full light tiling on your walls, he knows where to finish his metal trim. Uh, so there's a three mil quirk around the doorway. It's it's starting to keep your eyes open, you know, uh, to those of you listening. When you visit people's homes and you start to look around, if you if you start to sort of pay attention, how has a bathroom, for example, where is the tiling running to? I say to a lot of homeowners, do you want the tiling full height or do you want it just to the top of the door and the top of the shower recess and to pick a line that you run around horizontally and they've often never thought about it because they've just assumed it was always done one way you find that you know a lot of project homes they literally just tile the shower recess a splashback behind the vanity and then everywhere else is just a skirting tile and that very much changes how the bathroom feels functions how waterproof it is how durable it is over time you know bathrooms do take a fair bit of punishment especially if you've got a young family. Well, it also changes your wall lining. So, it, look, in, in that scenario, if, if it was confirmed that it was only going to be that sort of tiling, uh, most builders would only put WR ball or wet board in the, on those walls because it's cheaper than the villa board. So, that's definitely something that needs to be known. If, if, if you've told your builder that and then once all the walls are sheeted, you, you think, oh, no, I'm, I want to go full height, you can't tile full height over plasterboard or, or wet board. It's got to be on villa board. And it's also got to be nailed off to obviously hold the weight of the tiles. Most of your is just screwed on and, and screwed, uh, glued on and screwed at the joins. If you're going to do full height tiling, the villa board's got to be nailed off at 200 centres or 300 centres, depending on the size of the tile. And I think, too, understanding as well that the set out of the tile becomes important as well. So you actually, you know, it's always worthwhile to have some drawings done that show where does the tile need to start for their set out point so that you don't end up with weird cut tiles in odd corners. And I I find that, you know, good tilers will have this conversation with you anyway before they start your tiling. They'll say, look, you know, if we do this, this is where it's going to end up. But if you've not you know, hide anyone to help you manage your project, you're not available, the tiler needs to get going, they'll make a determination and it may not be what you were hoping for. So it's always worthwhile having it drawn on a drawing to say this is the set out point, start your tiles from here. Some tilers also will push back on large format tiles in bathroom areas, won't they? Because they can't always achieve the falls that they need to in those in those areas. Well, it's just one of those things that's what's really important to know early on. If, if you've had, put the step-downs in your slab and, you, and you're bedding the floors, and it, it doesn't matter what size tile you use, but if you haven't made your selections until late, there hasn't been any allowance to get correct fall to waste, and it, it gets very difficult. All right, so we've got gyprock in, we've got uh, skirting and architraves and internal doors hung, we've got tiling in, we've uh, potentially got our internal, the remainder of our internal flooring down, be it timber or if it's tiles that are running through the whole house. What comes after that? Uh, so look, probably the last thing to happen at this stage is, is what we call a cut and strip. So 
a lot of the trades that have done the roughing, so mainly your electrical and your air conditioning guys, look, we, it, we get them in before the painter gets back because the plasterers will generally just plaster over everything. So the sparky will come back, he'll go around, he'll, he'll cut out all the holes for the power points, he'll drill or cut all the holes for the um, lights. Hopefully he can remember where they all are. <laughs> yeah, they, they generally mark them all out, all, um, either on the floor or on their plans. And then also the aircon guys, like they'll come in, they'll, they'll cut those big ugly holes that we were talking about for the return airs, and they'll cut all where they're going to put their vents in the, in the ceiling. And that way there's no risk of any damage being done after it's painted if it tears the plaster or whatever. And then the sparky will cut and strip all these wires so he'll cut all the ends of them off he'll start to strip all the protective layers off and he possibly might sole them up or, or just do a little bit of work on them so he's ahead when it comes time to do fit off joinery is obviously a big thing that happens at this point as well carcasses being brought in and installed in place for kitchens and bathrooms and laundries what does that look like in terms of a joiner doing that because obviously they've done their measure up earlier than this um, are they needing to come back and do a check measure when the plasterboard is on how's that working in terms of the process yeah so a lot of the time uh, as soon as the plasterboard's finished um, sometimes the, they might still be there doing their setting but once the board's actually on the on the walls we'll get the cabinet maker back there or, or they want to come back there and they'll do one final check measure before they start making it Generally, the way that kitchens uh, are worked, there's always a bit of movement. So there'll be filler pieces and, and gables and things that they've got room to move. So they would have, nine times out of ten, they'll already have the kitchen under construction. Um, this is just to finalise and, and check a few things. And then, yeah, once once that tile, the fit out, the tiling, the flooring is all completed, it just all turns up in the back of a Pantech truck. And joinery, depending on the type of the job and the value of the job, joinery can be a draw completely on its own. So... If you've got a, a large, expensive kitchen, your builder might break that up into a, a drawer completely on its own. So again, he's just breaking his cash flow down. But generally, all the carcasses will go in. If there's any specialty finishes or wood grain or something, that may be left off till right at the end after painting so it doesn't get any damage on it. But once all the carcasses are in, generally within a couple of days, um, if there's stone tops, the stonemasons will come in, they'll take templates. So when you're saying they take templates, they actually come, don't they, and they make something that will yep. be then used as the piece that they cut the stone from? Normally, it's sort of 10 to 15 days to get your tops back. So on our jobs, most of the time, after those templates are taken, that's when we get the painter in. At that point, the tiling's finished, the internal fit-out's finished, uh, your floor coverings are finished, the cabinet maker's got all the carcasses in, so then the painters basically have the house to themselves for however long it takes. They, uh, they tape everything up and, and they go for it. All right, so we've got joinery going in. What happens in terms of all of the bathroom, you know, fixtures and fittings and tapware and shower heads and all of those types of things starting to be installed and mirrors and robes, you know, all of that beautiful finishing stuff? How does that start to sort of turn up on site and, and work? Once the tiling's been finished in the bathrooms, uh, before the painting starts, you'll get your whoever your company is that's going to do your shower screens and mirrors, and they can do all their measuring so that while the painter's on site, they're all getting made, there's no delays. They'll come in, toler will finish, they'll come in, they'll do all their measure and check on the shower screens and mirrors. You might have a company that's doing your internal robe fit-outs, so they'll all come in. Robe sliding doors, if you're getting mirrored doors or, or whatever, to finish them off. All that stuff's been off getting made and manufactured while your paint is on site. So one of the busiest times on a job site is when the painting's finished because that's just, it's go for it then. The, the client can see that you're nearly there, like they're excited, <laughs> it's all getting finished. And basically it's just everyone's in there. So 
the plumber will be in there fitting off the bath, the taps, the vanities, the, the sinks, um, all the taps. The electrician will be there, yeah, hanging all the lights, down lights, PowerPoints, light switches, all that sort of thing. If you've got automation, security, all that's going in. Aircon guys will be there. They'll install the outdoor unit. They'll fit all the grills. They'll test, like, gas the unit up, do all the testing and everything on it. And then generally, once all the trades are out of the way, on, on our jobs anyway, then we get the shower screens and the mirrors in because we don't like anyone working around the around the glass. And then if you're getting glass flashbacks, they'll start to go in. So, yeah, so, yeah. you can see that all of that, obviously the stuff that's the most breakable gets left till last yep. to limit the damage that can be caused to it. And I think too, you know, it's it, this is a really kind of tricky point. There's obviously a lot of gear needing to be arriving at site, builders having really good relationships with their suppliers so that they can have had their stuff stored, selected, you know, deposits paid, stored elsewhere. Site's not necessarily got a lot of room on it for all of the objects that need to go in it. So it is really important. I have a lot of homeowners who ask about, can I save some cash by sourcing all of these things myself? and knocking out the builder's margin on this. But you just start to see when Dwayne's talking about just what's involved in coordinating the arrival of all of those things and then the people that are going to be installing them, the amount of responsibility that you take on in making sure that they're installed correctly, that they're not damaged uh, and that they all work. If you start to insert your own involvement into that process as a homeowner, um, then you can muddy the water a bit in terms of who's actually responsible for that item, being on site at the right time, not getting damaged, being installed correctly, you know, and and feeding into all of the other processes it needs to. Oh, look, that, that's a really big one. So it's it, we get asked all the time, can I supply this, can I supply that? And, they, and they, they think that they're going to save our margin or some sort of cost. We try and refuse to do that anymore. Like it, it just becomes headaches all the time. And even tiles, clients want to supply their own tiles because when we make a margin or something or it's built into our overheads of the job, that overhead is covering us to do that, to do all the quantity takeoffs, to place all the orders, to take the responsibility, to reschedule it when it needs to be, to make sure, to check it when it gets to site. And clients don't realise when they they take that sum out because they want to supply it, we've still got to do all that work. There's still an administrative layer for you to organise it actually getting to where it needs to be. Yeah, so nine times out of ten, the the builder loses because he's still got to do all that work, but because the client wants to take that, try and save some money and do that themselves, nine times out of ten, the builder will wear all that extra cost. But the other thing that happens is, so we, if people want to push and they want to do that now, we make it very clear that they're going to have to pay us some money to still do something. Well, that was a really chunky stage. So we've gone through basically all of the doing of the inside of the house and we're 90 to 95% the way there in completing our renovational building project. Um, I think we've given everybody a really comprehensive picture of what's involved in actually, I think, kind of one of the most fun parts. Yeah, hopefully I haven't scared anyone off. <laughs> <laughs> I think forewarned is forearmed. So thanks very much, Dwayne. Thanks, Amelia. Now, before I go, let me talk to you about QuoteSpec. So QuoteSpec is our podcast partner for this season seven of the podcast. And QuoteSpec is a cloud-based quoting app that enables builders and tradespeople to create professional, easy to understand quotes. And it also allows you as the homeowner to see exactly what's been included and not included in your quote and to have confidence that you can manage your build and your budget without the drama. Now, this stage of a project that we've discussed in this episode, this fix it or fix fit out stage, it can really excite homeowners 
or it, you know you can become quite overwhelmed or it can be a combination of both purely because there are just so many selections to be made you know we've talked through a lot of work a lot of choices and ideally you know as we've been saying right throughout this season you've made all of these choices well before you've got here and then you've stopped shopping <laughs> but what I see many homeowners do is they're actually delaying these selections or they're wanting to have some flexibility with them in case they find something they prefer down the track look that's understandable you need to know that that's going to come with certain consequences but the whole process of building and renovating from choosing a designer creating the design getting your approvals making sure that you're on budget getting quotes signing contracts and then actually getting it built you know that can take years sometimes and and so it's not surprising that you might change your mind and your choices and your selections about things as that process you know, progresses. Look, on a, standing, on a standard building quote and contract, it can actually be really difficult to see what has been allowed in projects where you haven't made a firm selection. So often these items will be put into a part of the contract as a list of prime cost items or PC items, uh, or they'll be listed in provisional sums in your contract. Um, and these are really important areas to understand in your contract. We talk more about the contract inside the online program manager build. You know, these, these areas they can cause a huge amount of confusion and they can be the source of a lot of budget blowouts uh, and contract changes and variations during construction and that can cause a huge amount of stress as a result. One of the great things about QuoteSpec is that it actually enables the builder or the tradesperson to put specific allowances against many of these fit-out components inside the app So, and then show that to the homeowner. So say the quote you know, the quote that's been prepared, it's allowed for a tile in the bathroom floor that's $60 per square metre. You know, that can go into the quote as an allowance written there so that you're aware of that as the homeowner. You know, later when you fall in love with a tile um, that you want to have that's, say, $90 a square metre and it might be a different size. So, of course, the laying costs may change too and you're still going through this quoting phase and you're making all of your final selections. Quote spec actually enables the homeowner to see your allowance for these various items and then it enables you to communicate you know any cha- any desired changes with the builder and then the builder can update that in the quote spec quote and you know they can show what variation that'll make to your contract sum and that can all be done quite simply and quickly and so the communication back to the homeowner about the impact of that decision that can be managed in a really timely and efficient way and then it's all tracked and documented in the app so there's no confusion or mistakes made you know and builders can get support and help with making sure that they do this really well um, from the quote spec team and it's really a case of you being across that communication and things being really transparent with your builder so homeowners Ask your builder or tradesperson, do you use QuoteSpec? And if they don't, you know, send them to the website to find out more about it. So it's www.quotespec.com.au forward slash undercover architect. So QuoteSpec is Q-U-O-T-E-S-P-E-C.com.au forward slash undercover architect. I really love QuoteSpec as a tool and a platform, and I know that you will too. Now, next episode... It's the last episode of the season. Dwayne and I will be discussing the last stage of your home's construction. This stage is called practical completion. This is a contractual term that's really, it's just really important for you to understand because the completion of this stage and your final payment of the contract sum, this sets in train a whole series of other contractual processes. It also puts certain obligations on you as the homeowner. You can trigger it early if you're not aware of how you're managing your project 
project and that can, you know, cause problems as well. And, you know, this is about you knowing that your project is finished, that the builder can leave site and that you can move back in. So make sure you listen to the next episode. You'll learn loads more about the practical completion stage. Please mention this season of the podcast to any friends, family or colleagues who might be building soon too, because this is information that can help so many homeowners have a far better experience with their renovation or new home construction. Now, all of the links for this episode, all the web addresses I've mentioned, they're all in the show notes. So head there for more information. Looking forward to next time. Bye. Bye.